Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, and welcome to the New Books Network Jewish Studies Channel. I'm your host, Dro Rausi, Senior Director of the American Sephardi Federation Institute of Jewish Experience. At the American Sephardi Federation, we try to see beyond the Ashkenazi world and glimpse into the greater mosaic. Today, we are trying, we are really delighted to speak with Professor Mayer Bar Asher. Professor Bar Asher is the Max Schlesinger Professor of Islamic Studies at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. His books include Scripture and Exegesis, always a difficult word, in early Imami Shiism, and the Nusairi Alawi religion and inquiry into its theology and liturgy. He lives in Jerusalem. Today, we will be speaking about his book, Jews and the Quran, published in Princeton University Press in 2021. In the preface to his book, Mohammed Ali Amir Moezi says, in the present book, Mayor Bar Asher brilliantly rises to the challenge of summarizing earlier studies while at the same time advancing relevant new questions. A preeminent expert on Islam and Judaism with a perfect mastery of the relevant languages, a shrewd analyst of the thought and spirituality of both religions and a historian and philologist. He has also a great gift for transmitting his knowledge of very difficult subjects in a clear and accessible manner. And you've definitely tackled some interestingly difficult subjects in this book. So welcome, Professor Barasher. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Good morning. I'm happy to, to be with you. Yes. So I know I just gave a bit of a background, but can you tell us a little bit about how you started researching this? What drew you to it? How you got into Islamic studies? Well, I would say that I'm the result of two things. First of all, that uh, I'm, a, I'm from a family coming uh, new immigrants, Olim Hadashim from North Africa, specifically from Morocco in the, in the mid-50s. So uh, coming from a Muslim country and uh, telling at home experience of living in a, in a Muslim country and also speaking and speaking in Arabic language, although this is a, an Arabic dialect of North Africa, which is substantially different from the dialects spoken in our region. But nevertheless, this the, uh, the knowledge of, of life in an Arab and Islamic country was felt well at home. We, we were speaking about it, and so I had some background. This is one aspect. Another aspect, I, was, I grew up and was uh, brought up in the neighborhood of Jerusalem, which is very known and very famous, and was even more known at that moment, uh, in the neighborhood Musrara, which, mm. is located, which is located very close to the old city about five, 700 meters walking from, uh, from the uh, Damascus gate, from Shar Shechem. Uh, and when the six-day war uh, broke out, I was at the age of 12. And all of a sudden, after a few days of a war, the borders between, <clears throat> between the two countries, between Jordan and Israel, fell out and I and I like all my generation all living in the in the in the border uh, uh, neighborhood of Jerusalem were exposed to the old city to meeting with Arabs uh, to excursions in the old city and this motive this motivated me to learn Arabic I was a child of 12 years at the moment but I was totally convinced by myself, by, by myself. No one told me that I have to know the language of the people whom I heard uh, noises of, of, of their existence. I heard uh, just a few months before. Now, now the, the, the borders fell and we are 
all of us living on, in this, on the same space, and I have to learn the language. And I started by myself learning the, the dialect of Jerusalem. You know, the fact that I knew, I knew Arabic from home, although Arabic, uh, uh, um, Moroccan Arabic, was a very good basis to go ahead and learn another dialect. Once you know one dialect, you have a, an excellent basis for other languages. I would say that this is like, for example, somebody who knows Yiddish and, and take a decision from home and take a decision to learn German. That it would be very easy for him uh, uh, than, than uh, compared to somebody who started it from scratch. So on the basis of my of the Arabic that I know at home, I learned quite quite rapidly the dialect of Jerusalem. Then I said that I have to start learning the literary Arabic and spent many years on working on this. At my at my period, at the high school I learned in, there was no Arabic taught. In other languages of Jerusalem, yes, but not in my not in my school. Just a few let few years later, they started to teach Arabic. There, and I myself taught Arabic at this at a certain stage at this school, school of Himmel Farm in Jerusalem. But at the moment, there was no Arabic, so I did. I had to do the effort myself, and I did it. And uh, and once I finished my military service, I decided to go to to uh, to learn uh, Arabic at the university, Arabic and Islam. In addition to learning also uh, Jewish thought, Jewish philosophy, you might ask why why these two fields. Well, it's the, an the interesting connection. combination. Yes, <laughs> the, the, the combination is very for me was was totally evident. You know, the, a great deal of uh, Jewish literature, of Jewish philosophical, not only philosophical but other fields as well, in the world of Islam. During more than a millenarium, was written in Judeo Arabic, in Arabic. You know, all the writings of leading prominent authors like uh, Yehuda Halevi, Saadia Gaon, Shlomo Ibn Girol, Ibn Ezra, Maimonides, and many, many others in the field of philosophy, in the field of halacha, in, in, in the field of literature, etc., etc., were written in Arabic. So I said, I, I remember telling you telling myself that if I get to a very good knowledge of Arabic, then I have a direct access to reading their their writings, not in translation into Hebrew or to other language, but directly in, in Judeo-Arabic. So that's why I decided to go for these two fields. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when I learned at, at, the, at the Department of Jewish uh, Philosophy and thought. When I learned this text, I was I, I was in a good level of, of Arabic, so that when we read it in class Maimonides in Hebrew, I was able to go directly to the Judeo Arabic text, which is Judeo Arabic text is is almost like Arabic text. The only difference, or the major, not the only, but the major difference is the fact that Judeo Arabic is written in Hebrew script. But the, the language is the same. If you know if you know good Arabic, if you have done study of, of literary Arabic and you are a Muslim, so once you know the letters, you can read it quite easily. <laughs> and so, growing up in Musrara, you must have also been exposed to different dialects of Arabic, even just within the community. Yes, exactly. Exactly. First of all, you, you, you are pointing to a very, very precise, very exact uh, uh, point. You know, I, first of all, Variety of dialects of the of of Morocco and North Africa because majority of people there were <clears throat> Jews from Morocco from various various uh, cities and villages in Morocco. Also, some very very small number of people coming from Tunisia and from Algeria. But nevertheless, I was I was able to yeah. to hear a different in the dialect. Despite the similarity, there were differences. But there were also quite a big number of people coming from from Iraq, from Iraq. Not uh, just a few families from Syria, but uh, many families, uh, quite a high percentage of, of people uh, coming from from Iraq. So this this dialect was not also uh, strange to my to my ears. And there were, you know, a very small minority of people coming from north, from east uh, East Europe, from Romania, from Poland, Small numbers. The majority were 
Sephardi Jews coming from from these countries that I have just mentioned to you. So this was a background on which I was I was uh, grown, and I would say I am uh, all you know my my uh, <clears throat> development, intellectual development, uh, academic development, uh, and my own biography, autobiography, is the result of the result of the of the situation that, had, that occurred after the Six War, uh, uh, Six Day War. Can you expand upon that a little bit? Because yes, oh, just you know, because of the opening of the yes, the opening, yes, the opening, the meeting with Arabs. You know, I as as a as a teenager, I was uh, I was uh, I I made friendship with with Arabs. They, they just frequented. They were as I was curious to to know them. They were curious to to know the Western part, and they, you know, before. A few, a few years before, you know, the, uh, the 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 hard moment of the terror started of the PLO. There were a few years, a few calm years from '67, say to '71 or '72, in which the moving the movement from one part of the city to the other was very very free. You would say you would meet many many Arabs uh, coming to. To the to our part of neighborhood, and we going to the other the part. And this exchange, this uh, meeting, uh, I would say, affected a great deal my biography. I, 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 as I said before, I took the decision of turning this into my expertise. I learned Arabic and devoted, I would say, most of my life, from the from the age of twelve up to now. I am in this field. Which turned to be my uh, my career. You know, I, I I did later on Arabic Islamic studies, <clears throat> learned it in Israel, then learned it abroad in Paris and other places. Come back to Israel and 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 had a post at the university. So I'm the result of this of this event. Had I been born, I don't know, maybe in Tel Aviv at the same age, I would have probably opted for other for other uh, way of life or other. Uh, uh, choices. Yeah. Yes. So I think we could talk a lot more about your biography, but we're here today to talk about your books. So let's go uh, to the book. The title of the book kind of gives the main subject, Jews and the Quran. Um, but can you just tell us a few sentences about what you were hoping to share by publishing this book and why it was important to share it, it specifically in English? Well, let me tell you the history of this book. You know, first of all, First of all, I, I, I wanted to entitle it otherwise. I wanted to, to entitle it Jews as viewed by the Quran. But, but the editor uh, did not like this, uh, this title. It's very academic. We, we have, to, we have to, to entitle it in a way that it will be attractive to, to the ordinary people, to the ordinary people and Jews and the Quran. Now, the story of this book that it started in French, not in English. I have written it in French. This is the book in French. Uh, and and uh, I was uh, I was invited. It was an, an invitation that I got I got from uh, from a professor at the Sorbonne, whom I have known very uh, superficially, not uh, to a certain extent. I know of her, and she knew of me. And and then I gave a Paris on this. Uh, I gave a lecture in Paris on this topic uh, a, a year or two before. The coming out of the book, and this professor, with a distinguished professor of the Sorbonne, uh, whose name is Mireille Hadas Lebel, she uh, she is an expert of the history of the Jews in the Hellenistic period. She published a great deal on this, and also on Hebrew, the history of Hebrew language and Judaism. Very important scholar in, in Paris. She she attended this lecture that I gave in the fifties uh, arrondissement, fifties suburb of. of uh, uh, neighborhood of, of Paris, and she, uh, when I finished my lecture, she said, "Would you write a book on this?" I said, "Why not?" I, it's. She said, "Well, we need it. We need it because there is a, a great deal uh, of interest in Islam, especially in relation of Islam to to its to its uh, to its two sisters, Judaism and Christianity, and such a book would be very much very much welcome." I said, "Okay." And I asked her when, when would, for what, what is the, the deadline for this? She said, well, it, it would be 
excellent if you could have passed it on to me yesterday. But but I can wait a few months. Uh, finally, it took me a year to 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 do the, the book. Uh, so uh, and and then uh, and then uh, once it appears in in French. Uh, I had, I've got a letter from the Princeton University Press who, who told the, the executive uh, director at, at, the, at the publishing house told me that he would like to have this book in English if I'm not objecting. I said, no, not at all. The contrary, I'm very happy of this. He said, would you, in case we want to to enlarge a few parts of it to broaden, would you be like, I said, yes. And, and then... This is the way it, it came also in English. Uh, so just in order to, to give the whole picture, it started it started in uh, in French. Now, what is my I was always always interested in the relationship of between these two religions. Once you once you uh, start to learn Islam and you read the major sources of this religion, that is to say, first of all, the Quran. And then the hadith, the oral tradition, which would be probably equivalent to our Mishnah and Talmud, more or less. Then you you come across uh, what Islam has to do about about Jews and about Judaism, and you immediately discover this is very complicated. What is said, it is it is ambivalent. There are various statements that are said about them. Uh, you know, the presence of Judaism in the Quran and the Hadith is very strong. You find them in any in any page of the Quran, almost any page you would find reference to the Bible, to the Jews, to their commandments, to their history. Uh, and and uh, uh, the statements about them differ. Sometimes you find very, very flattering and positive statements about the Jews, but on the same, you find also the same text, Attacks, accusations, uh, criticism, uh, and and other and this and other uh, such things in the text. So, and, and this is and this is a text which has a very important, uh, a crucial uh, importance in, in the life of Muslims. They they are inspired by it. They go back to it to 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 learn from from the book what what uh, what opinions they should. Maintain it in certain circumstances. So I said, it's my, it's my uh, task. It's my mission as a scholar to make this text uh, available to with a commentary to the general reader and trying to avoid any agenda. Uh, my great, my great effort was was to to do my best to do the best I can. To present the thing as objectively as possible, you know, I'm I'm a Jew. I have a lot of admiration to my own to my own culture and tradition, but I have a good knowledge of, of Islam, I think, and, and uh, I want to be as fair as possible, as objective as possible in presenting uh, Islam without any political or other kind of agenda, just to present it as is. And uh, this is this was the effort. And uh, I can tell you that I'm satisfied with the fact that when uh, reviews, many reviews were written on, on the book in its various languages, especially in French, many many reviews in, in journals, and, uh, and and what was common to all reviewers is that despite the delicate material, despite the fact that it is a material that's very difficult to deal with, the way I presented it, it, it was very, uh, very respectful towards the material, towards the Muslims. Uh, I, pre I, I, I presented everything in the text, the negative and the positive aspects, and tried to be as, as fair, as objective, as academic, uh, as scholarly as possible. Yeah, and one of the things I noticed is you particularly have two Muslims, one, one Muslim giving the preface to the book and one the forward to the book. Um, and I thought that was an interesting way to make sure that it comes out as objective. Um, and in the forward by Mustafa Akul, he tells of the significance of a, Ju 
of a Judeo-Islamic tradition that has not yet received the tradition it deserves, in his words. Why do you think people don't talk about that that much? Well, you, you mean who, uh, Muslims or Jews? Uh, who do? Well, he didn't say who doesn't talk about it, he said in general. <laughs> well, um, I, I, think, I think that it's, it's exactly what happened to me personally, that I avoided, I avoided for many years writing on it. I, I lectured on, on this topic in many, many places uh, that I was invited to give seminars. I, I did for many years seminars on, on exactly on the topic of the book, Judaism as represented by, by Islam in the Quran and other sources. I taught it many years in Paidea, it's the Institute of the European uh, Union of UNESCO in uh, in uh, Stockholm, I taught it in Paris and in in, in, in Czechoslovakia and other places. Uh, I was ready to lecture on it, but was always I avoided writing on it. And why I avoided because exactly because of what I have just said before, right. you know, you you are dealing with with material that is not. It's very difficult to deal with it, you know, on a theoretical level, academically, because it has relevance to our life, because Jews and Muslims are not two peoples from the past. It's not like doing Assyriology or Egyptology that you are dealing with texts without having any contact with the people. You are dealing with people, with the same people, with the same religion that are still alive and, and are in a conflict, are in a conflict. And this conflict is inspired by both political considerations, but also by religious considerations. You see, for example, now in the debate between Israelis and Muslims, we see that there is a turn to, in, 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 there is a tendency in the last few years to give it, to shape it in, in a religious uh, uh, way, a terminology. So this is, why, this is why people avoid dealing with it. But when the, when the invitation came, uh, from this professor, I said, "Well, it's it's about time to to leave alone all these fears and to try to face the material." And uh, uh, so, in fact, people avoid avoid doing it. Uh, but I'm I'm very happy. I must share this with you that the interest with on the book encouraged me to continue. You know, immediately after publishing it in French, as I said. Came a request to translate it into into English. Now, later on, just a few a few months later, a colleague of mine in Italia read read the book in French, and he said this might must appear in in Italian, and it was really appeared in Italian. Well, I have it. I have it here. I can show show it to you. This is the Italian translation of the book. And I'm going to travel next in the beginning of March to present the book in various places in in uh, Italy. Do you speak Italian? Yeah. I speak Italian. Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. I'm going to present it in uh, in Italy, in Napoli, in, in in Rome, in Napoli, and also in the south of, of of Italy. I was invited to a number of events regarding with the book. There is a lot of interest and. Amazing. What I'm, what I'm uh, very much happy, uh, especially happy, that uh, that uh, now uh, somebody whom I have known nothing uh, before, uh, a man, a very rich person from uh, from Abu Dhabi, contacted me recently, just a few months ago, and he said he's interested in the book. He say he saw it in English, he wants to translate it into Arabic, and he translated it and sent oh. it to me. Not he himself, but right. he hired somebody. He, well, he took care of this and he sent me the translation, which I I'm planning to revise in in the in the next few weeks. I, I want to, to see whether I'm whether the text is enough uh, is sufficiently precise and, and exact and good to be to be published. I will do that in the next in the next year. Even if it's okay, then we'll go for it or probably correct it and then publish it. So there is an interest. You would ask me how about Hebrew? Unfortunately, I have not get yet to the Hebrew, and the reason is that um, I can simply translate the English or the French and have a text in Hebrew, and this is not very difficult uh, to do. But uh, 
there is a point here. I, I think that for, for people in Israel, for my people here in Israel who are in the middle of this conflict, I would like to have a broadened a version of the book. I would like to extend it a little bit, at least 20% of extension, and more, more, than I had, more than I have done for the other European languages and also for the Arabic. So this would take me time. So what I'm planning is, first of all, to, to uh, prepare a draft of the, of the text in Hebrew based on the French with, whom I, uh, with, with which I, I started. And then once the translation is ready, then I will extend it in the places that I have noted to myself that I want it to be, uh, to be broadened, to be enlarged. So you see that there is an interest, uh, 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 an interest in having the text and also an interest in inviting me to talk about it. I cannot, account, I cannot count to you how many places I have uh, been asked to come and, and give a series of lectures on the book. Since it was published, it was published uh, just a while before the uh, before the, the um, arrival of, of, of this corona uh, well, coronavirus well. pandemia, just a few months before I was in Paris to, uh, for the exposition of the book. And since then, there are two uh, more than uh, almost four years that I was invited either online or in presence to talk about it. So. Uh, so maybe Which we have to is, update the forward. <laughs> we have to update mm -hmm. the forward. We have to update the forward and say yes. people are now talking about it. This is getting people to talk about it. It's wonderful. Yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. You see, and the, you know, the people who wrote the the, the introductions to to the uh, Italian uh, translation are def definitely other people. The, it was it was written by uh, by three. Uh, uh, church people who are interested in it from a religious point of view, and, and they, they wrote translations, uh, uh, introductions, intro, uh, uh, pre prefaces and postfaces to it. So there is an interest in it, which is very encouraging. It very much so. So now let's get into some of the actual content, if that's okay. Okay. So, um, so that people will continue talking about it too from here. <laughs> um, so. You, you make mention that in the Quran, three terms are given to the Jews. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, you know, every, every, every lecture I give on, on this topic, I started by, by terminology, by, you know, by, by knowing who are the Jews who are described in the Quran, what, what, in, in what way they are, uh, they are called and, and whether there is a meaning behind each of them. So we find basically three, three terms, which uh, each of them has um, uh, puts the accent on on a, on a different uh, aspect. So the one of the one of the titles, which is very common, especially in the the old part of the Quran, in the part from from the Meccan period, from the beginning of the mission of Muhammad, is the term Banu Israel, which would be a clear reflection of the term Bnei Israel. And when the Quran uses this, it refers to the old. Israelites, so the old children of Israel of the Bible. Now we have the many, many of the stories of the Bible are retold, are retold in the Quran in its way, not, not, not always identical to the way they are in the Bible, but the Jews who are described there, they are normally in most cases called children of Israel. This is one term. Another term is the term Ahlul Kitab. Mm -hmm. Ahlul Kitab. Uh, which means those who have been given a book, who, to, to, to whom a book was revealed, that is to say, uh, the people of the book. And, and we have to take into mind that, 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 that this expression that we is reflected in the Hebrew, Am HaSefer, the people of the book, well, this was given to us by Muslims. They, they were the first who called that by, by this same meaning, Meaning something different to, <clears throat> to what we mean when you use it in modern Hebrew. When you use the expression Ama Sefer in modern Hebrew, sometimes we mean that we are people who read books, we are intellectual people who read, read books. But the original meaning is people who have been, to whom a, a revelation were given, was given. And this is another term, and, but this term is a, a little bit ambivalent because it, it could mean in certain places of the Quran or in Many places of the Quran could mean either the Jews or the Christians, because each of them is considered a book, a, a, a religion of revelation. Uh, 
we have the Torah and they have the Gospels. So, and sometimes it's not very, very easy to, to, to see whether we are meant Jews or the Christian are meant in, in his usage of the term. So this is the second term. And the third term is the term Yehud, Yehud, which means Yehudi. <coughs> no. Which is the, the, it's Jews, Yehudi and Jews. Jews. And this is rather, among the three terms, this is the most pejorative. When this is used in the Quran, in, in most cases in which the Quran want to say critiques about the Jews, want to criticize their manners and customs and their religion and their, and, uh, and their being an evildoers, etc., etc., all the negative or most of the negative characterizations, uh, characteristics of the Jews are tied to this expression, to this expression. When this is used, either in a, in a nominal name, a, a term, Jews, Yehud, or in a verbal uh, form also, those who were Jews, Ladina Hadu in Arabic, then you are expecting, you are expected to, to find a, an accusation or a critique or a malediction, curses, etc. This would appear. This would uh, would would be tied to, to this to this term. So this is these are the three names, and by using each of them, you refer to other aspect or to to a certain to a certain aspect in the in the. In the in the nature of the Jews and their and their history and their attitude towards Islam, etc. So I, I want to show also some of that respect. I'm gonna um, some of the references in the Quran really show this um, relationship between Jews and Muslims. And I'm gonna give a quote from the Quran in your translation uh, from 1094. If you are in doubt about what we send down to you, ask those who recited the scripture before you. It is quite telling that there is this, oh, sorry, it is quite telling that there is this respect that the Jewish Bible and Jewish people are seen as knowledgeable because you're going to ask them. And you also say that in Yatrib, some women would send their children to grow up in Jewish families to be educated. So there is this respect. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yes, yes, absolutely. You know, the, this is an aspect uh, you, you have, as I said, a variety of attitude toward the Jews and toward their religion. So there is this aspect of considering, which is reflected in this, in this verse and in other verses as well, which uh, reflects the the viewing of the Jews as a as a as a, a an authority through which you can validate your religion. So say. Approaching Muhammad and telling him God is approaching Muhammad, not somebody else. God is addressing Muhammad, saying, "If you have, if you have a doubt about this, or if people have doubt about what you say, and they don't trust you, so you can tell them, go and go and ask the Jews. Go and ask those who read the book. Those who read the book means the Jews and the Christians, and they will confirm what I say." From their books, you will find that what I tell you to reveal to your to your people, to your uh, polytheist Arabs in, in Arabia, is also said prior to to the arrival of Islam by by the Jews and the Christians. So here we have an example of very a very positive attitude towards the Jews, viewing them as a source for the validification for valid, validation of of Islam. But we find also the opposite. You find also the opposite. We'll get there too. I just well, let's start. I thought it was better to start with some positive. Okay, okay. You also talk about the Israel Israeliot Israeliat. 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 Yes. Can you well, explain that a little bit? Well, what what is the Israeliat? Israeliat is a term given. Is a term given. It's a, you see here the word Israeli there. Israeliat. It means traditions from the people of Israel, and these traditions are are very often uh, paraphrases. Of uh, midrashim, you would might would, might, would find in, in the Mishnah or in the Talmud or in the specific book of midrash uh, statements that you, you find in the Talmud. Uh, sometimes also the Israeliat includes Christian material. So, the, uh, in, in other words, material coming from Jewish heritage. That uh, and, the, and this this material was uh, we, we believe that. Uh, those 
who played a very important role in bringing all this material, in introducing this material to Islam, were converted Jews. Converted yeah. Jews who knew their tradition, who did their, uh, who had, were very, very, very well expert in knowing the, the, the Jewish sources. And when they converted to Islam, they, they brought their heritage with them, and part of it tried the best they, the best they can in, in order to 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 uh, uh, to let it enter into into Islamic sources and to be used by to be employed in in, in, uh, in Islam. Uh, so uh, and then and then became a debate between <clears throat> between two two directions. There are many, many who uh, were for using this material, said, why not? The Quran itself, in the verse you have just cited, encouraged us to ask the Jews, so why not using Israeliyat? But then came a stage in which Islams felt that uh, the usage of Islam is the usage of, of Israeliyat material, materials coming from other religions is too much uh, Imposing itself on on on, on Islam, uh, there is a tendency to to lie a lot on Jewish and Christian material, and there is always a risk that you lose your specific identity by by absorbing too much from the others. So then come then come then was developed a process of of rejecting this material, and there was a, a debate between those who were for this and those who were against it said, well, those who brought this material to Islam were Jews, they are biased, they have a, they have an intention in, know, in, in wanting to have all this massive material coming into Islam, and there was a process of stopping it. And this, uh, this uh, uh, debate is not a, only a debate of the past, it continues up to nowadays. Up mm -hmm. nowadays, there are tendency, and now, now the more prevalent tendency is to block the way for entrance of Israeliat and to use them as less as possible. While when you read in the old Muslim sources, you would see they would, as the Muslim have no objection, uh, they have objections, but not as great as it, it, it as it was developed in the past. So you see here. <clears throat> As I say, always when I talk on these topics, I say the key words of understanding the problematics between Judaism and Islam, Judaism as reflected in, in the Islamic sources, especially in the Quran, is a, is a key term is ambivalence. You very often find a tendency to, to, to get from Judaism, but at the same time, a tendency to block the ways for entrance of too much influence. Uh, I would say using it, using a, an expression, a Hebrew expression, <coughs> expression, I would say, Yad yimin mekarevet, yad small ducha. You, you approach the other with your hand, with right, your hand. right hand, but you reject him with, with your left hand. And this is a, a play, it's a, only, not only a play, it's, it's, it's the essence of the attitude. Uh, up to now. So that's also an important point that you keep bringing up, and I want to make sure everybody's listening, is this is for the ages. This isn't some historical um, piece. Yes. But I want, to, I want to move over because for me, it's very important to make sure we touch upon women. And you happen to mention two here. So if you could tell us a little bit about uh, Sarah of Karaiza and Asma of Yathrib. Um, and the sources in which we find them, because they're obviously women are not all over the yes. place in both uh, um, biblical texts, any religion. So, yes, well, you know, the fact that in Arabic in Arabic culture in general, that were were, were uh, uh, not only not, not only very famous, very leading poets among mm -hmm. the Arabs and among among the Jews, but there is also poetess. Uh, Yes. Women poets, uh, and uh, and we know we uh, what we know this from from not from the Quran. No mention of this material of this poet of this poetess in in, uh, in the Quran, but we have it from the historical sources, from the biography of Muhammad. They are mentioned from other his, book histories of the period. This this Sarah of of the tribe of Quraiza and this Asma, on which. Uh, 
uh, a, a scholar of our department has written a very nice uh, uh, article in Hebrew and also in English on this asma. These are uh, two prominent, uh, thoughtful and intelligent women from from the three tribes. Each of them, they were from the, there were three major tribes in the region of Medina to which Muhammad migrated in 1622. And there, this Sara and Asma uh, were, uh, we have just a number, not, 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 a, not, not a big quantity, just a number of, of verses that remain from them, uh, written in, in, in beautiful Arabic, in which they are blamed as criticizing the Prophet. And they were actually assassinated because of their, of their critique towards the Prophet. So uh, the, the, there is such a reality of which we know not from the Quran, from other sources, but to be to be clear enough, it is not a, 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 a it's not a large phenomenon, and we don't have a, a, a huge corpus of of poetry written by neither Jews, uh, neither men or women, also from. A, a, a men who uh, wrote uh, poetry, Jew, Jewish men who wrote poetry, there are just a number of them. Most famous of them is Samawal ibn Adiyah, also from the tribe of Quraiza, who wrote uh, a few poems, some of them uh, in which there is no, no, uh, uh, no Jewish characteristic at all. It looks like the poetry that Arabs, the pagans, wrote with. with without any any reliance on Jewish sources, but there are others that are attributed to them, including including poets that uh, were discovered later on in the Geniza of Cairo, in which <clears throat> Jewish motifs, even even messianic Jewish motif, the mention of the house of David, etc., are mentioned in, in this poetry of uh, of. Uh, uh, Samawal, Shemuel, Samawal is Shemuel ibn Adia. But uh, we, we should take into account that we are not speaking of a very, very large phenomenon. Mm -hmm. And even if there was more activity on this field of poetry, we don't have, uh, the evidence did not remain. So we have just a, just a small quantity of material. So we did say we'd come back to some of the negatives. So I'm going to switch us over a bit because we have to acknowledge the surah in which the Jews are said to have been transformed into monkeys and uh, the punishment leading to the insulting term for Jews and possibly Christians, um, the descendants of apes and pigs, and I'm not going to pronounce it in Arabic. <laughs> um, um, uh, so can you address this at least and talk yes. about that? First of all, let's let's... Let's do it by moving from another positive to this negative aspect. The most important positive aspect, I would say, is uh, that the Quran considers the, the old children of Israel, not the latter Jews, as the, cho as the chosen people of God. There is a, this this motive is a, is a, repeated in the Quran more than once. It's oh children of Israel, uh, remember. Uh, the, remember the grass that I have done to you uh, by by uh, by choosing you over the others, by preferring you over the other people. This is a verse which is repeated more than once in the Quran. So there is the notion that the Quran mentioned the notion that the people uh, the, the people of Israel are the chosen people. This is explicitly said in the Quran. In, very, very important notion, this idea of, of the Jewish grace by, by uh, electing the people of Israel. But when you go ahead, you continue the reading, you see that it turns immediately uh, that the Quran says, after mentioning that they are preferred and elected, it immediately says, well, they were elected, but they lose their election because because grave sins they have committed among <clears throat> among which one of the grave ones is the adoration of the golden calf uh, which is considered one of the also in jewish sources but not only in muslim as a grave uh, uh, as a grave scene and also by other things like killing prophets 
like uh, uh, falsifying the, 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 the Torah, etc. All these things uh, uh, were the reason for for uh, their rejection by God. God who, who elected them also rejected them. And then instead of them, instead of them elected his new people who are the Arabs. So you have here, you have here a phenomenon very similar to what we what we find in Christianity, that Christianity accept the idea that the Jews, the, the children of Israel of the Bible were the elected people, but they they have lost this this uh, this elections and they are the new Israel. They are the the Verus Israel, the new Israel. The same tendency you would find in the in the Quran that uh, Jews were elected, but then they have uh, <clears throat> lost this election uh, due to their to their to their uh, sins and to their uh, grave <clears throat> acts of of uh, of betrayal of the of the of the of the alliance with God, and then God opted for the Arabs, and this is again explicitly said. In the Quran, Quran addresses the Arab says, We you are now the best people. You are the best people that get that were set forth to, to humankind. So there is the idea of of a changing of transformation of the election because of because of deceiving God, <coughs> causing causing deception to God. By by not adhering to his to his commandment to his etc. So uh, and then when this is developed, then comes a series of accusations, some of which I have mentioned. You know, you have uh, Jews are accused of <coughs> adoring or worshiping them. <coughs> the golden calf. They accused of killing prophets. They accused of of falsifying the Torah. They accused of of taking interest and many other things which are which are uh, considered as typical to them and then also uh, also various kinds of punishment the most famous of of which is their transformation into donkeys and transforming the christian into pigs you know this is and this is why in, in the in the in the modern uh, an actual uh, parallels you would find the Jews are called in, in, in the actual Muslim propaganda children of of monkeys and the yeah. Christians children of pigs awlad al-qirada awlad al-khanazir this is part of the of, right. of the of, of the of the propaganda which is based on the Quran and the Quran says that the, God uh, turned them into pig into into monkeys because they were not respecting their or the the, the the commandments of of the Shabbat. This is the, the context in which it appears in the Quran. They, they speaks about a community who were asked to, uh, to who are recommended or ordered to to keep the Shabbat as we all know, and as a result of not respecting the the sanctity of Shabbat. They were punished by being transformed into, into monkeys. So, so let's pick up on your Shabbat theme here, because there are, like you said before, there are midrashic stories that are intertwined with biblical stories in the Quran. Um, and one of the things that transform also is Shabbat or and fasting. And there are... Um, there are yes. rules and regulations that translate it, yet they're a little bit off. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, you know, definitely, you know, um, first of all, you know, all the halachic, you know, that uh, uh, Islam, like Judaism, is a halachic religion, is mm -hmm. a halachic religion. It is a religion on which, on which uh, the law, commandments, respecting the commandments, is a very, is a fundamental aspect of Islam. It is not only a religion of creed that you you have a credo of a certain uh, principles that you have to declare and to believe in, and that's it. Right. It's very different from Christianity, in which the the the, the keeping of commandments is 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 not a, there. Are of course, the sacrament in Christianity, sacraments, but it is not a fundamental aspect of of Christianity, uh, of this religion. Islam, like Judaism, 
is a religion of law, of Sharia. Sharia is the equivalent of halakha. Now, from where this came to the Arabs? The Arabs before Islam, uh, the pagan Arabs, they, they did not have a Sharia. They did not have a halakha, a halakhic system. We, we, uh, we scholars of Islam believe that this, this aspect of Islam, this very dominant, uh, predominant aspect in Islamic religion was very much inspired by their conduct, by the fact they, they live a symbiotic life with the Jews, especially in the period of Medina, when Muhammad migrated from his native city of Mecca to the north, to the city of Medina, in which there was, it was a, a very predominant Jewish area with the three tribes around the, in Medina, in the, in the vicinity of Medina, and all the region between, between Medina up to the, uh, to the borders of, the, of, of Eretz Israel, of, of Palestine, of the period, Byzantine Palestine, were populated by, by Jews in all this area. So Muhammad, when he came there, he, he met, and his community met Jews, uh, and his knowledge of Judaism is increasing when, uh, when, when, uh, as a result of this event. When you, when you uh, read the parts of the Quran, the Quran are divided to parts from Mecca, to surahs from Mecca, chapters from Mecca, and surahs from Medina. When you, write, when you read the chapters from Mecca, you hardly find anything halachic in it. You find stories from the Bible, stories of the prophets of the Bible, stories from the prophets of the New Testament, and the major figures that we know from the Bible, many of them, Abraham, the other patriarchs, Moses, Aaron, David, Solomon, all these and their stories are represented not exactly as they appear in the Bible, but they, they are there in the Quran. But there is not a legal aspect to this, to this community. Uh, we, a lot of inspiration from the from the story, from the narrative uh, parts of the of, of the Bible, but not of the halakha. Now the encounter with the community in Medina make a great, made a great change in the nature of Islam. Islam turned to be a halakhic religion, halakhic religion, uh, and, uh, and for example, we have the <clears throat> the rules of prayer similar to those of Judaism. The fact that you have to pray to a certain direction. And in the beginning, it was even to Jerusalem. Then it turned up to, to Mecca. Uh, you, have to, you have to have intention, kavanah, niya in Arabic. Uh, and that, uh, difference in the number of prayer, but, but, but the, the, the very nature, the very existence of an institution of prayer is, is new to Islam. It was it was not in, in, in the Arab culture before Islam. You a, a, a prayer, fast, almsgiving, a, a laws of of, uh, of war, laws of uh, of taking uh, prisoners of war in, 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 during the during the, the fighting, etc. All this is very much close, in, not only in the concept but also in the details to what you find uh, on the, the the rules of of uh, of animals that you you can or you can you are permitted or not permitted to eat, all this notion was not known to Arabs before Islam, and this is definitely a, a, the result of a contact, a permanent, a daily contact with people who practice this, and also we we are quite sure that it is not only it was not only done. Uh, by absorbing this element from Judaism, but also with the desire probably to help this community convert it to the new religion of Muhammad, you know, creating a religion which is close to them and enabling by this, enabling them by this probably to, to join Islam, which was not very successful. And once Muhammad, once Muhammad uh, realized that, that his efforts towards, uh, you know, shaping a religion across to Judaism did not help so much in converting masses of Jews, at least not in the, in the very beginning, then there was a changing of attitude. So we see, we see, we see two phases. We see the first phase that started in the period of Medina of absorbing elements, halachic elements, not only 
narrative elements, but halakhic elements from Judaism. And then we see another, another stage in which there is a, a desire at rejecting uh, some of the, of the elements. And then there is a withdrawal uh, from things that you have already accepted that you reject or you, you, you moderate. Or change them even, like or you said, change, change the or direction change. of prayer or change yes. the day of Shabbat or uh, the day exactly. of rest. Exactly, exactly. There are many, many examples in which you see the changing in order to, in order to, to, uh, uh, to separate yourself from, uh, from the dominant community and to help yourself. And I explained this in the book. This is, uh, first of all, a, a desire to reject yourself to, to reject the influence and then to help yourself by rejecting or by controlling what you get from other religions, helping yourself shaping your own identity, uh, which which would be suitable to, to, to your people rather than uh, just imitating uh, previous religions. So we're talking about separating. I want to make sure that we at least mention, you have a chapter on the Shiite. She, she, she is or Shiite, as you. Yeah, sorry, I was going in between the two. Um, why did you feel it was important to add that in um, to this type well, of book? Well, let me let me explain to you why. First of all, you know, to be to be clear, I'm uh, I started my oh, my career by by uh, by uh, specializing in Shi Islam. So I have written mm-hmm. my my book on exegesis is on the Shi exegesis of the Quran. So, uh, and then I said, well, you have to. Uh, Let's say, let's put it that way. In most of what I say in the book, there is no difference between Shi'is and, 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 and Sunnis. They all share the all all the views that we have discussed. They are shared by both Sunnis and Shi'is. But I said, well, Shia is still a very important minority. It's a minority. One, once we use a, a minority, sometimes we see we identify minority with the with a small number. But my, the, this minority is about two. Hundred millions. This is the minority of the Shiites. Right. <laughs> they say a huge minority. So I said, if the Shi's have their own specific views on Judaism and Jews, let it be expressed also, because we want. I want to to, to discover what Islam in general, Sunni and Shi's think about Jews and Judaism. But there are some particularities you would not find in Sunni Islam that you find in Shi Islam which are very, very important and different, totally different from what you find in, in uh, Sunni, from the majority, Sunni Islam, the majority Islam. And I said, well, a chapter has to be devoted to this field. Actually, this chapter, I had it already written as in a form, in a form of, a, of a, an article that I have, uh, I have published many years ago on the attitude of the Shia to the Jews. And I said, well, this fits very well with the book to give the, the she attitude, and then I translated it into French and then into English, so that it will be included and that it gives also this variety, this uh, this specific version of Islam that it will be represented also in the book. Uh, now, what is what, what is the, the special or the unique aspects that you have in Islam and you don't have in in, uh, in Christianity? Two aspects which are almost contradictory. One aspect is that Shia Islam, you find a very, very particular, very, very, I would say even astonishing. When I when I met it for the first time, I was astonished by by these statements. These statements, you find traditions attributed to the imams of the Shia that that are saying that we are the true children of Israel. Well, not biologically. They did not think that they are continuing the pillow of Israel, but in the sense that there is identification of the Shia with the Israelites. And many, many verses in which the Israelites are mentioned in the, in the Bible comes the imams of the Shias and says, it is we who are meant by God when he says, children of Israel, you are the chosen people. It is us, the Shias, which are the descendants of the Prophet Muhammad. They are the descendants of the Prophet Muhammad. Uh, and I was intrigued by the question, why do they do that? Why, why, why this identification with the people of Israel? And I have an explanation in the, in the book. I say, well, Shia found in the 
ethos, in the ethos of the children of Israel, a story of a, a paradigm, of a story of salvation, a story of, of, uh, uh, of uh, how do you say, avdut, esclavage. No, um, no, well, I... Slavery. Slavery, yes, exactly. Slavery, esclavage in French. Slavery and then redemption. And, and they, they went to the history of the people of Israel and said, well, this can be a very inspiring for us because we are, we are like the Jews, a, a persecuted minority. This is the history of the Shi'is. And we, have, we can see in the story of the people of Israel exactly a paradigm of our, of our history. They start, it, is, it started with slavery in Egypt, and then there was salvation, redemption from, from the slavery, and arrival to the country of Israel and creating a dominion, creating a, a, a state, creating a malchut, a kingdom, the first one, the second one. So there is a, a, there is a, a story of slavery which has an happy end, an happy end, and this in my in my interpretation, this was this served the the the, the she's as a model for their own history. That's why they identified with with not with the Jews, no, God forbid, not with the Jews, but with the people of Israel, not uh, with the later right. Jews, the people of Israel, the ancient people of Israel, the biblical part of Israel. Now later on, we found in in the in the uh, she tradition something almost. The opposite of it, we found a strong rejection of the of the Jews, not of the people of Israel, much stronger than what we find in Sunni Islam. Uh, in what it is, uh, in what is the essence of it? They, 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 the Shi'is consider the non-Shi'is, that is to say, not only the Jews but also the Christians, they consider them to be to be purely impured, uh, to be uh, ritually impured. Tmeim, Najis in Arabic. Now, is also, I was curious to see from where they get into this, if they are Muslim like the other, why they have this notion which we, we don't find in, in Sunni Islam. There are a lot of explanations to this, but the basic thing is they took verbatim a verse in the Quran which says that the polytheists, the polytheists are impure. Now, the question is whether you define the Jews as policies or not. Some of the, uh, not some, many of the leading scholars of, of Shiism said, well, the Jews are definitely policies. If you, if you, if you worship the golden calf, this part of you, this, and also there is a verse in the Quran in which it is said that the Jews believe in Uzair, who is identified with Ezra, the scribe, is uh, they adore him as a son of God. So they are like the Christian. So on the basis of, of some verses in the Quran, these are the main two cases, the golden calf and the, the story of Uzair Ezra, probably Ezra, uh, you, can, you can view them, you can view the Jews as, as, as non-monotheist. Non so if they are not monotheists, then you, they are considered uh, impure, and then you exclude them. And the implication of, of this in, in uh, Shiite societies, and you can hear this from, from Jews who came from Iran or from Iraq, in which there were uh, Shiite communities, the implications are very severe. You cannot, you cannot get into marriage with them, and you, unless they convert it to Islam, while in Sunni Islam, a Jew a Jewish lady who wants to, to get married with a Muslim, she doesn't have to, to convert, she can remain Jew. But in Shiism, no, there is no solution for this except for uh, converting into Islam. This is one aspect. Another aspect is you are not permitted to eat food that were cooked by Jews or, or animals that were slaughtered by Jews, while Sunni can yes. do that. So there are two opposing uh, opinion, uh, views that characterize the Shi'is that are very, very different from what we find in Shi'i Islam. And I said, well, this has been has to be shared because and you can ask me what how it is connected 
to a book dealing with the Quran. It is connected because all what they say is based on a commentary of verses in the Quran. So I said, this aspect should be also covered in the book, and that's why I included it. Thank you. No, that's really interesting. And I encourage everybody to read through the book because we had so much more to talk about, but we have to be conscientious of our time. Usually at the end of our New Books Network uh, interviews, we ask what you're working on next. You kind of said you're working on the Hebrew version of this book. Is there something else that you want to share with us that you're working on next? You know, I know. Uh, when you introduced me in the beginning, you said that I'm a... Uh, 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 I'm in a Max, Max uh, uh, Schlesinger incumbent uh, of, of this of this chair of the university, but I was nominated a number of years ago uh, at the university as the as the incumbent of the chair of Baha'i studies. Now Baha'i, the Baha'is, Baha'i studies is uh, it's another thing I'm doing. And now at the moment I'm working among other things on the Baha'is. And I'm uh, preparing a book on the on the prayer in this religion. Wow! They prayer let you in religion. to talk about it. Excuse me. They let you in to talk about it. Uh, I know they're secret. No, it is not really connected. I can, I can very briefly just say that there are they have they have a very uh, very rich uh, treasure of prayers, uh, for which I am now preparing <laughs> preparing for the first for the first time for the Hebrew readers. I'm preparing a translation of a collection of prayer with a commentary and also with the introduction of the importance of prayer in this religion. Of course, I'm, this is a byproduct of my interest in Shi'ism because Baha'i religion was is an offshoot of Shi'ism. It was developed within Shi, within 12 Shi'ism in Iran in the 19th century. Then it turned, then it developed to be a, a totally different religion. Uh, independent religion, but I'm interested in it, and, I, and uh, this is one of the things I'm doing. In I'm sure we're going to hear much more from you because I'm, I'm very excited to talk to you again, and I'm sure everybody's interested in hearing, so we will continue our conversation. I want to say thank you, and we have been speaking with Professor Mayer M. Barasher about his book, Jews and the Quran, published by Princeton University Press. Thank you again for joining.